Welcome to episode 11 of the Invited Long podcast. Hello world, this is Juan. And this is Quentin. We're an international couple traveling around the world for love, work, and the pursuit of wonder. Through this podcast, we invite you to come along with us as we discover places near and far while treading lightly and not breaking the bank. This week, we are leaving behind the sights of Angkor Wat and the throes of food poisoning to make our way to the city-state of Singapore. This will be our hideout for this week, and we cannot wait to share this beautiful place with you. Yes, absolutely. And since we are entering a brand new place, we'll take a second to explain two or three basic concepts before we dive in. Singapore is a small island at the very southern tip of the Malaysian peninsula, and its only direct neighbor is, quite logically, Malaysia. It is a city-state, which means that it is its own country, following about 150 years of British rule and a failed attempt to become one of the provinces of Malaysia. It's about 750 square kilometers, which for a city is very big, but for a country is very small. Due to its complex history and diverse ethnic backgrounds, Singapore actually boasts four official languages. English, Mandarin Chinese, Tamil, and Malay. And we'll get more into detail about how that happened in this episode. Finally, they drive on the left, and their currency is the Singaporean dollar, which is roughly worth 0.7 US dollar. So, how do we make our way there? Well, it's time for Takeoff, where we discuss the logistics and costs. And this week was the reckoning of rewards points. We booked a Singapore Airlines flight from Siem Reap to Singapore about two weeks in advance, and we were able to redeem 25,000 Chase Ultimate Rewards points transfer out to Singapore Airlines to pay for our flights. So out of pocket, we paid $60 total, but the retail price was about $400 US for two people. So we had a savings of $340 here. So that's not bad at all, taking the exact flight at the exact time that we wanted to leave CM Reap. Once we arrived at Chengi, Singapore's international airport, we were able to take the metro very easily to our hotel, the Hilton Garden Inn, located in Little India. And double whammy, here too we were able to book with our Hilton rewards points. So a few years ago, I had opened a Hilton credit card in anticipation of coming to Asia because I know Hilton has a wide footprint in Asia and very good redemptions. So we spent 120,000 Hilton points for four nights, which included free breakfast. And Hilton, fun fact, actually comes with a fifth night free when you redeem points. So in total, it was 120,000 points for actually five nights. A night there out of pocket would have cost $163. So we saved $815. And this is including the free breakfast. So we were really happy to be able to pull that off in Singapore, which is notoriously expensive. Even a night at a hostel, like one of those capsule ones, will set you back 20 to $30 per person. So that is something we are not used to coming from Thailand and Vietnam and Cambodia. What is more, we were really centrally located in an area with everything that we could need, but still far enough from the very busy center so we could still enjoy quiet times, including at their lovely rooftop pool. Yeah, it was amazing, but now is not the time to be quiet. Now is the time to go and explore. 
And to do this, what better way than using public transport? We said it many times before, we are big fans of public transport in general. Uh, I grew up in Europe where I sort of took it for granted. Now living in the US and traveling a bit around, I really get to appreciate it when we get some really nice public transport network. And here, Singapore does not disappoint. The MRT is the main metro railway system that you have in Singapore. It is clean, it is efficient, it is very clearly labeled. What's more, you can use your contactless card without any issues. We were able to use our US-issued credit cards without any problems. There is also a tourist pass uh, that's worth about 20 Singaporean dollars for three days and gives you unlimited travel. We did not buy it because after calculating it, it wasn't necessarily worth it because each trip usually costs between one and three dollars. So as long as you're not taking the metro more than four times a day or so, it's not really worth it. But all in all, in general, we were big fans uh, of the MRT. On top of the MRT, you also have the buses. Singapore has an extensive network of London-style double-deckers. If you've ever been to London, even if you haven't, you know what I'm talking about. Those really cool double-decker buses really allows you to actually see the sights quicker, if you're in a particular area, you can kind of travel through it with the buses quite quickly. It's a great way to have a sense of what things look like from there. You can also use your contactless card, so it's really all good all around. Honestly, that's simple. That is the best public transport I've seen since we used to live in London. And I've been in quite a few places ever since, and I don't think any compares except maybe London, and I've heard a few places in Japan and China. We also did walk quite a bit, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, we, we were walking a fair amount. We would stop at a station and then we say, okay, it's a 20 minutes walk, let's just do it. So maybe if you really don't want to walk, which I can understand, uh, and you want to use the metro more, then it might be worth for you to get the tourist pass. But please know that if you're trying to get a tourist pass, for some reason, you have to pay cash for it at a station, at an MRT station. Now, before we visit anything, we've mentioned that Singapore has a complex history that encompasses different cultures and ethnicities. Before arriving there, we basically had no idea how Singapore came to be, and we thought it was really important to get a lay of the land to better understand the context of what we're seeing around us beyond just like crazy rich Asians. <laughs> so we had a great idea to go to the National Museum of Singapore, which we highly recommend as a first stop. It's a fabulous museum, very clear exhibits. It's a bit pricey, but worth the money because it really shows the history of Singapore, the relationship with colonial cultures like the Dutch or the British, and it just was a fantastically curated museum. Yeah, and thanks to that museum, we were able to get a feel for what the actual history of Singapore was. And here it is in a very, very short, condensed version. Essentially, Singapore, due to its location, uh, geographically speaking, has always been a bit of a trading spot. It's a great place, there's straits, so loads of people would come by boat. And it has been attested since at least the 15 or 1600s that it was a trading location. It became a British territory at the end of the sort of tail end of the 1700s, beginning of the 1800s, I believe, under a man called Sir Raffles, uh, who mostly chose Singapore first because it was a great spot, but also to annoy the Dutch that were in control of the rest of Malaysia. 
It essentially stayed as a British territory until World War II, when it was annexed by Japan and actually became Japanese for a couple of years. But after liberation, the British lost a lot of their influence, of course, in Southeast Asia, and there were already a lot of independence movements going on in that area with India in 47. So after the liberation from the Japanese, the Singaporeans started to want to become independent themselves, but actually at first wanted to become independent as part of a new independent country of Malaysia. And the original plan was for them to join Malaysia as one of the provinces. However, they wanted to, from the start, operate as a multicultural, diverse place because, again, it had been a trading location and there had been people from China and India that had been, and Indonesia that had been moving there for 300 years. The Singaporean Prime Minister at the time came in front of the Sultan of Malaysia and said, we would love to join Malaysia, but we need to keep our identity as a multi-diverse, multicultural place. And the Sultan refused, because from his point of view, if you are part of Malaysia, that means you are Malay first. Because of that, it essentially never came to be, and Singapore just ended up its own independent country. Under the rule of this Prime Minister, Lee Kuan Yew, who is a very, very important figure in Singaporean political history. And as we know, like I said, it was a trading place. And as we know nowadays, it's mostly known for its banking and insurance. And that's just kind of the natural conclusion, the natural consequence of all this trading, all these trading links they already had. And as the world has become less and less based on manufacturing and straightforward trading, so has Singapore evolved in its position on the socioeconomic chessboard, so to speak. We were there around the time of Singapore National Day, which is August 9th. We weren't there on the day of August 9th, but they were already practicing for the parade and they had big rehearsals and National Day celebrations. So we did get to see a little peek of what that would have been like. Back to the museum, there were also a lot of really cool temporary exhibits, such as there was a modern design exhibit that showcased traditional crafts, but with a modern spin. And we also went to an exhibit all about the straight-born Chinese elite during the turn of the century, their culture, and an awesome wardrobe exhibit. Yeah, they had a lot of that 1920s flapper vibe, which it's very interesting to see so many people are ethnically Asian having uh, this culture that definitely has, I would say, Western aspects of it due to the location and the history of Singapore. But it's very nice to see how they took that part of the culture, flipped it, reversed it, and made it their own. Another stop that really left an impression on us was the majestic Singapore Botanic Garden. It was absolutely huge and a UNESCO site in its own right. It is also free for the most part, except for the orchid garden and maybe several special exhibit. But for the most part, it is free. You can visit this gigantic, curated, amazing botanic garden. And many people do. We saw a lot of families there picnicking, etc. But speaking of entrance fees, we do highly recommend visiting the orchid garden and actually paying for it. It was the most stunning curation of orchids I've ever seen in my life, probably because the orchid is the national flower of Singapore, and it's from a tropical climate. So we were able to see different parts of the garden which showcased different species of orchids and the actual climates and environments in which these particular species 
thrive. So for example, we actually went into a greenhouse that was temperature controlled to be cold. I have never experienced that before because, you know, I've never been in a tropic country. So they actually had to simulate a cold environment to show high elevation orchids. Yeah, it was blowing my mind as well. It was incredible. <laughs> But speaking of some of the free stuff that you can see at the Botanic Garden, there is a section of rainforest that has been left untouched. So you can walk through the tropical lush rainforest that used to be in Singapore. And I saw the first ever seed bank that I've ever seen in my life. There's only maybe like six or seven of them around the world. So it was so special to see this place that like froze different seeds to preserve these seeds for perpetuity, you know, in case of apocalypse or something. And it was cool to see the freezing chambers, the way they dried certain seeds. And that was a free exhibit as well. There are, I think, two additional free museums, but we didn't have a chance to go see them because we were spending already most of our day just wandering through the garden. For garden lovers, I would say you can spend comfortably like two full days there. And that's not counting for the special events that they may be hosting. So when we were there, I believe they were setting up for a botany festival. I'm so sad I missed this. But next time I'll go back, especially for some cool botany festivals. But of course, Singapore is more well known for another take on nature, and we of course have to mention the infamous Gardens by the Bay. So if you don't know the Gardens by the Bay are this massive park that's by the water, by the bay, hence the name, and it's mostly known for these artificial super trees that you probably have seen if you type Singapore into Google image, that's why you, you'll see those massive structures that are meant to look like trees, themselves set within uh, a park. So we went to check it out, uh, at least the free stuff again. We quite liked it. It is definitely very curated. Like most things in the city, it's very clean, it's very proper. Perhaps in a way that feels a bit artificial considering that you are normally in a park. But that does not mean that you should not go. It's absolutely beautiful in its own way. There are two gorgeous greenhouses that we did not go into due to the price. Uh, I don't remember the exact price, but it would have set us back definitely a couple dozens Singaporean dollars. Instead, we just walked around and appreciated the site. There are some uh, viewpoints that you can reach for free, and from there you can already see a lot of sculptures, you can see some of the super trees, and you can walk around quite easily. The other thing that the super trees are known for is a sound and light display that takes place every night around 7.45 and 8.45 p.m., so the first one is sort of like around dusk, start of night, and the second one is when it's already pitch black. And it is, to be honest, really beautiful. I'm not really a sound and light sort of guy. Usually that doesn't impress me too much, but this one was really lovely uh, with a lot of classical music. It just takes 15 minutes or so, but it's worth it. Another thing that I quite like is they had this little playground that's clearly meant for children, but I spent a lot of time there, and Juan did too where you can play on all sorts of metallophones, so stuff like uh, marimbas and xylophones and stuff like that, where you can just bang pieces of metal to try and play a tune. I had a lot of fun there. Another area that we loved to walk around was Kampong Glam, the Malay Muslim Quarter. This includes wandering around Haji Lane and Arab Street, 
and there were a few murals and many beautiful shops to admire along the way. We also, of course, saw Sultan Mosque, which was a stunning mosque. We didn't go inside because they had very short and specific visitor hours, but it was beautiful to see from the outside, and we did catch evening prayers, and the singing was beautiful coming out of the mosque. So if you have not noticed yet, between the botanic garden and just walking around a particular neighborhood, a recurring theme of our visits in Singapore is that we've focused on stuff that was free, or at least cheap. And that's how we found one of our favorite stops, the National Design Center. Now Singapore is of course a very design-forward city. A lot of things in a city, I would say, are planned in advance, and there's definitely a sense of things growing in a curated way, like I said before. And the center is no different, and it has beautiful exhibits within it, as well as a nice cafe. But the, the exhibits within uh, are really amazing. There was an exhibit about all the different types of typography that you can find. That was in a main hall. Again, all free. You could just walk in there. Uh, as well as a massive exhibit about 50 years of design within Singapore and the different companies and the different artists that have been found in the city and have created all sorts of things, you know, coming from tables to chairs to big multiplex compounds to the person who designed the metro map to the person who designed like a particular clothing line stuff like that i wouldn't give it any particular names it's honestly just worth checking out again it's free it's really beautiful and on top of that you also have many companies in the design center that are actually hosted there they actually work there and a lot of them work in sustainable design. For example, there is a company that specifically works on making fabric out of pineapple, uh, and specifically the pineapple leaves. So the, the tops of the pineapple that are usually not used and the various fibers you can get from the pineapple plant that again are usually not sold to the consumer. Uh, and this is the kind of very forward thinking design that you can see in that space. Along the lines of design, we found that Singapore is also a fantastic place with a thriving art community. So we were actually making our way to a museum and we didn't even make it to the museum because we stopped by so many different art exhibits on the way. So, for example, we went to the Nanyan Academy of Fine Arts and saw an exhibit there by an Indonesian artist, Ari Bayuaji, who wove plastic netting that he found on the coasts of Indonesia and Bali, and he made different art using traditional weaving technique from this kind of aquaculture or fishing industry byproduct to showcase the impact of plastic pollution in Indonesia, but also provide job opportunities for folks who are working in the hospitality industry and lost their jobs during COVID. And instead, he taught them how to sort through the plastic and help unravel these fishing nets so he can use the wires for the artwork. So it was really poignant and a really fantastic small exhibit. We also stumbled upon Objective, which is a collective of film and photography exhibits. And I actually saw a really interesting short film about the tense relationship of a gay boy in Singapore and his mother and that dialogue. And finally, last but absolutely not least, we kept on finding our way back to Chinatown. So Chinatown in Singapore, fun fact, is not called 
Tangrenjie. It's actually called Niu Shui Che, which is water bearing ox cart. And that is because of the first local businesses were these carts that were bringing water. There were beautiful shop houses, and most still have thriving businesses and shops. We saw tons of uncles playing chess. There was like giant crowds watching people playing chess or checkers or whatever it is that uncles do as they're sipping tea right outside of the Buddha Tooth Relic Temple, which is a famous temple in Chinatown. And of course, we visited actually multiple Chinatown hawker centers and sampled our way through Chinatown. Yeah, speaking of which, we absolutely need to talk about food in Singapore. It's known. That Singapore has great food with so many cultures, so many people meeting in one spot. There's no doubt that we have tasted some incredible stuff. Now, most incredible stuff is found in Hawker Center, what Juan just talked about. Hawker Centers are a very Singapore concept. They're essentially food courts, usually indoors, although not always, that are dotted around the city. And each food court comes with dozens of stalls. And each stall usually only sells one or two dishes with a few variations and you just Go to one stall, grab your food, and then sit on one of the many, many tables. And that way, several people, a group of people, can go to different places and uh, eat together. And you can re-eat there for just a few dollars. So if you're on a budget like us, it's perfect. You can find food for five, six dollars, Singaporean dollars, and it's completely fine. Of course, if we described every single dish that we've tasted, this episode would be about 15 hours long. But here are some of the highlights. The first one uh, is one that Juan actually tried, is the black chicken clay pot. Did I say that right? Yes, and black chicken, for my Mandarin-speaking listeners, is uguji, which is a type of chicken I really have not had since I left China, like more than 20 years ago, so that was incredibly nostalgic. Yeah, and tasted very herbal and kind of medicinal in a very good way, in a very, very tasty way, but you could eat it and feel like you were getting healthier. Did I order a side of chicken feet? You bet I did. She, she was in heaven right now. I was just looking aghast at how happy she was. As for me, what made me very happy was the chicken rice. Now, every time we say that, it's like it sounds like such a basic dish, right? Chicken rice. And like the name indicates, it's essentially just chicken with rice. But there are slight differences in how the chicken is cooked, how the rice is cooked, what sauce it's served with. And Singapore did not disappoint. It's known for having great chicken rice, particularly the uh, Holker Chan's famous soy rice, chicken rice, which was actually had a a Michelin star until 2017, I want to say. They had a Michelin star for a few years. They don't have it anymore, but it's still very, very tasty. Uh, And there's other Hainanese chicken rice places that we've tried, also delicious. I would say these chicken rice dishes are up there with the one we had in Thailand. That was actually one of, if not the very first meal we had there, and it was still one of my favorites. But these ones are also up there, definitely in the top three. Something else that I have found tremendously Moorish are kaya toasts. Oh my gosh, amazing. I need to have it in my life. Essentially, kaya toast refers to this coconutty caramelly jam that's spread in grilled bread, and then it's dipped in softly cooked eggs. They're very liquidy that you splash a little bit of soy sauce with a dash of white pepper, and you dip the toast in this egg concoction, and you wash it all down with some super sugary coffee. 
But actually, we went to have Kaya Toast multiple times, and I actually preferred the steamed version of Kaya Toast, which is in a steamer basket with steam fluffy buns with the Kaya spread, because I thought that the fluffy buns actually absorbed more of the egg. So we, of course, tried Yakun Kaya Toast, which is a chain that is everywhere in Singapore, and it's kind of the OG of Kaya Toast. Fantastic. I need to make this at home. Of course, we stayed in Little India, which meant that we had ample access to delicious Indian food. And I want to give a shout out here to some delicious chapatis, which welcomed us the first night when we arrived in Singapore. Our hotel was across the street from the Asmi restaurant, and we ordered some chapatis with wonderful dips and chickpeas and curries. And chapatis are a thick Indian crepe that you use kind of as the utensil and the thing that holds together all the curries and sops everything up. There are a few other places we'd like to mention because again we've seen so much but not everything can be uh, talked about in, in detail. So really briefly some of the places that we've, met, that we've been to that still deserve to be mentioned. We have the Marina Bay Sands uh, which is that huge hotel with three legs. Uh, again if you type Singapore on Google Images you're probably going to see it. Actually, the lower floors are a massive mall and there is a light show at nighttime, again towards the bay. That's quite nice to catch. So we were able to go there a couple times. It's also a big transit hub, so you're bound to end up there at some point even if you don't want to visit it. Another thing that we saw was also the Merlion statue. So the Merlion is the symbol of Singapore. As the name indicates, it's like a mermaid, but the top half is a lion and the bottom half is a fish. I had never seen a statue that had anxiety before, so that was a new thing. Uh, I'm not saying it's like badly made or ugly or anything, it's just the merlion was given a very bizarre face, a very bizarre emotion on its face, and it just looks anxious. I can't explain it otherwise. And just across from the merlion, on the other side of the water, you have the Esplanade, which is this big kind of event space. It's also a mall uh, where you have a lot of concerts. When we were there, there was some jazz playing. Uh, we tried to catch a concert. We weren't able to do so, but it's also lovely to walk around. And we walked to the Merlion statue, didn't we, from one of the keys. And there are multiple keys in Singapore. And these are just docks with beautiful restored shop houses that you can walk along with restaurants, etc. We also meandered our way around Chinatown and enjoyed the beautiful shop houses, stores, little eateries, and street art along Amoy Street and Ansan Streets. The first thing we did when we left Changi International Airport was actually also to head to the very famous an impressive indoor waterfall at the airport that is called the Jewel, and it's part of this big mall complex. Another complex that we saw that we really liked is the Brabasa complex. It is located right next to the National Library, which we also briefly visited, but wasn't really open to visitors as we went. We weren't able to actually see a book. However, the Brabasa complex is this four floor, I would say four or five floors of shops, but it's not really like a mall, it's, it looks more like an apartment complex, but if each apartment was a shop, if that makes any sense. So you walk around sort of these corridors, it's got this open courtyard in the middle, and it has some really, really nice shop, including the infamous Bashir graphic books. And if you are a fan of graphic design, architecture, 
or graphic novels, you will find something to love there. It has so many books about all sorts of... If it's drawn in any way at any point, you will find a book of it or about it at this shop. Uh, another place that we also went to is the Orchard Road. And it is essentially the big shopping street with the massive malls and the very fancy shops in Singapore. And lastly, we popped by the Singapore City Gallery, which is, again, a really fantastic and free exhibit about urban planning and how the city was built, how the utilities work, how public spaces are organized and planned for, and it had a massive scale model of the city center. It was a fantastic exhibit. I really wish we had spent more time there, but we went pretty close to the end of the day and they were about to film some documentary there, so we got kicked out. But it was still worth it for the time we spent there. But that's not to say Singapore is a perfect place, so let's talk turbulence. What didn't really go according to plan or frustrated us this week? Okay, for me, I want to preface that there was not really any, like, turbulence, turbulence, like no punctured tires or food poisoning. But if you're doing a trip around Southeast Asia, it's important to keep in mind the high cost of basically doing anything in Singapore. For example... We've been doing our laundries at hotels everywhere, and it's been very reasonable. So we wanted to do our laundries at the hotel in Singapore as well. But actually for a load of washing and drying, it would have cost like 20 Singaporean dollars, which is a lot of money when your budget is like $66 a day. So instead, we just hand washed everything and strung up our trusty little clothing line in our nice hotel in Singapore and turned on that do not disturb sign. But it turned out okay. We were able to wash and things dried super quickly because, again, it's a tropical country. And overall, it's important to keep in mind the cost of tickets, paying for different activities and how that might fit in with your overall budget. So we did a mix of maybe one paid activity per day and the rest were just free activities or walking around and seeing where the wind takes us. And that did work out. But, you know, we couldn't do things like organized tours or cooking classes or things like that because it was more cost prohibitive for our budget. For me, the turbulence, however, is not really something that concerns us, but I think we've painted a very positive <laughs> picture of Singapore. And one thing I just wanted to mention is Singapore has a very particular style of government uh, because the government has a very strong hold on it. And that leads to a very high standard of living. But for example, there's a very low freedom of press. And essentially, the entire country is under the rule of one political party, which is the party of the Prime Minister Lee Kuan Yew that I mentioned earlier. So essentially, this Prime Minister has shaped Singapore the way he envisioned it for 30 years. After, once he was not Prime Minister anymore, he was made, I think the term was mentor minister. So he was still in the party and he was still actually making decisions because they created new roles for him to have. As a result, you can tell that it's a place that has this strong, uh, again, design by one group of people. It has impact on some social questions such as LGBTQ rights, which are a bit behind, definitely in Singapore, compared to other developed cities in the world. We did say, right, that Singapore felt like it's one big social experiment. Yeah, yeah, essentially it feels like Again, this Lee Kuan Yew, who's a very accomplished, very clever man, it really felt like, yeah, he was given carte blanche to just 
kind of tried to do of the city as much as he could. And again, very successful in many aspects, but to the cost of some aspects of life that uh, could be more or less disturbing depending on your own personal experiences. Right. And we did meet a group of Singaporeans on vacation in Malaysia when we went scuba diving. More to come next week. But they laughed when I said, Ah, oh, Singapore was awesome. I really enjoyed it. And they just laughed at me. And they said, that's because you don't live there. <laughs> yeah, they were essentially saying after six months, you'd want to leave. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know quite what that means. But I guess we'll have to talk to more Singaporeans to find out. Okay, it's not all doom and gloom. Because now we are flying high, what were the highlights of this week? For me, it was definitely seeing the diverse cultures living on top of each other, right next to each other, and how it is baked into the identity of the city. So you will have a traditional Chinese-style temple right next to a Hindu temple, right next to a mosque, and it's just this kind of mix I've never seen in my life. And when you go to restaurants, it seems like everyone's sitting there enjoying each other's foods. And it was just really nice to see people coexisting in this way and how that's written into the formation of this city-state. Another highlight for me was seeing my first ever seed bank ever. I felt it was such a magical moment to be in a place that held the amazing genetic diversity of plants. So I can't wait to visit more in the future, but this is my first one ever. And for me, uh, I think I would have to go for the art street, what I call in my mind the art street. That's what Han mentioned, where we were walking on our way to a museum, and we actually found a bunch of different art exhibits. Like, literally, we would step out of one building and we see, at just, you know, two minutes walk, another building that had some interesting art exhibits or some sort of design exhibit of some kind. And we just had a great time moseying our way along that street. It was a really, really good time. And the other thing I really enjoyed was the public transport. I've mentioned it before. I, we love public transport. For the past two months, apart from Bangkok, we had essentially just been places that did not really have any. So we had to rely on grab or walking or bicycles or motorbike, if you remember the cat by episode. And that was, that was a dark time. <laughs> Traumatic. Uh, so I was really glad to just being back on the metro. And it works. It's great. It just works. And with that, that is our quick overview of Singapore. Next week, we're setting our sights on Malaysia, starting with the tiny island of Tioman. In the meantime, as always, we would love it if you could follow us on Instagram at invitealongpodcast. And you can also reach us by email at invitealong at gmail.com. So long for now. Bye-bye.